Welcome back to another edition of the Wits Up Podcast. It is fantastic to see all of your friendly faces. Today, I am speaking with Alicia Kay, and I'm going to be honest, this may just be one of my favorite episodes ever. Uh, It was like catching up with an old mate. Well, it it was catching up with an old mate, uh, but the conversation goes on so many directions that I never anticipated it going on, Uh, but... I don't know, maybe with the planets aligning or the, you know, the universe was speaking to us. Um, I don't know. I feel like we or I needed to have that conversation at that particular time. But also Alicia gives me the feedback as well that she felt like this conversation was quite cathartic for her uh, as well. So it it was perfect timing. The planets definitely aligned. Um And so much of what she spoke about resonated with me and so much of her approach to things really resonated with me as well in particular. And with this particular topic, um, it actually triggered me to go and do something about it because it's something that I stick my head in the sand about uh, always, forever, have always done that. Uh, And that's around the topic of, was actually sort of twofold. And I actually spoke about this uh, on my private, a private person, not private, personal social media platform uh, that I've been doing a financial, it's called a financial adulting course. And I'm just, I'm just trying to learn to be better with money or understand my money story and all these other bits and pieces. And I posted about it the other day and I'm making progress. Um, and it, for me, it's, it's, it's huge because um, I, I don't like money. I don't like talking about it. It feels icky. It's awkward. I hate it. Um, but you know, when you're running your own business, you should probably figure that shit out. Uh, but also when you have a family, a young family, you should probably sort that shit out as well. But it turns out so many people commenting, uh, either publicly or private messages have, are in the same boat as me or have been and are trying to figure out their own shit as well. So anyway, there's that. But then back to this particular discussion, Alicia talked about the very sad and unfortunate passing of her mother, uh, just before COVID hit, so end of 2019, I think we'll go to the actual episode and you can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but she talks about just the importance of that stage in life when parents pass away or, or even yourself and making sure that you have certain things set in place so that when it comes to that time and it's, it happens to us all, um, <laughs> obviously, and it's, it's, it feels a bit icky talking about it. It feels not icky. That's not even the right word. It just feels really awkward talking about it. It's, it's not a nice subject, but having your, your estate in order, your will, your power of attorney, all those things um, organized before uh, it comes time, you know, it, your time is up. And and we discussed that in, in quite a bit of depth and it really triggered something for me. And it's um, you know, especially since having Frankie, but not just because I have a kid, but we really need to sort that part of our lives out as well. And I feel like for us, it's something that we definitely stick our head in the stand about, not just me, Brett, Brett as well, but definitely me. Um, cause it, it is awkward. Um, but I, geez, I'd hate 
you know, for something to happen to one of us and we, we wouldn't have these things uh, set in place and then what happens? And it just, it's a really scary thought and like I say, awkward. But it, so for those of you who are just tuning in now to a triathlon podcast, this is very, very left field, but I think it's important. And the more I sort of discuss it with the people, the more I find that I'm not alone in these feelings and maybe wits up's an opportunity. We've got a platform to be able to discuss these things in a safe environment. So maybe I'll start doing that. But anyway, reached out to a financial planner, um, financial, yeah, financial planner. I think that's what he's, actually, here we go. Yes, he's a he's a financial planner. He's a triathlete. I've known him for years. Um, and just, I had a bit of a chat with him and then Brett and I caught up with him the other night and we went through all these kind of things. And you can't, it's, it's, it's almost a little bit of a psych, psych appointment as well, because he's asking you some pretty, um, not intimate, but very personal questions. And it, it definitely feels awkward, but again, he didn't make me feel awkward. It's the subject matter that makes me feel a bit awkward, but I really understand the importance of getting that kind of stuff, uh, sorted. So Anyway, I feel better for having the conversation, knowing that we're starting to put things in place for the future and and figure a few things out. And so that was, I think, I believe that was my Monday night. So top that. Anyway, there's my ramble for the week. I really hope you enjoy my chat with Alicia K. That is K, not keys. And I will speak to you, well, in a few seconds completely forgot to put that in my account in my email or fuck my calendar oh yeah are we allowed to swear oh mate (laughs) swearing is my jam so also by the way this is i am actually recording just because i always hit record straight away so uh but anyway we haven't we haven't officially started but we can potentially (laughs) leave this in um but anyway sorry um, I had forgotten to put it in my calendar. Mm. Clearly I had. And so I had booked an appointment, uh, to, with the bank. And in the end, it was like a shit show because literally the bank, Scotiabank has acted like my mom was, is the first person to die ever. Like it, it's just been awful, but luckily it is over yeah. and, um, her estate's completely settled. And, um, it was strange though. The day I did, it was like, literally two days after Katie's dad passed Katie's a Ferris and oh, it's just like she's a very close friend and so like the last week's oh. been a bit weird so just because I just so like was thinking about my mom a lot and then it's like oh and they had such a beautiful relationship mm. and so I've just been thinking about them mm. a lot like we've known Tommy since he did his first triathlon and I met Katie when she was an age group athlete and fact yeah. that the two of them got married is just weird <laughs> for me because they were my friends oh, before gosh. they had known each other so yeah right yeah oh god yeah I sent her a message the other day um because anytime I've talked to her especially over COVID times when she's been mm-hmm. at her parents house they've been involved in the background and yeah you could just tell that their their relationship was so close and yeah oh gosh just it's so it's so sad yeah and and it's I just find it like it's weird in the past few years there's been some like passing of like parents of professional female athletes and it's been like Jody had hers I Mm. had mine which was the catalyst for me retiring but then also Rachel Klammer lost her mom really quickly like Mm. it was just 
it was just a strange, I think like last calendar year, like of just, it's hard. It's very like, for me, it was, that was it, but it's, uh, it, I've been so, and then watching Jody like being at the finish line when she crossed and I was oh, just like, God. <laughs> get your shit together, Alicia, for this interview, because I was doing the finish line interview. Oh, mate. <laughs> it was really just kind of like very emotionally heavy and I've trained with Rachel. So I know Rachel well. So it's just like, what the heck is going on? Like 2020 Fuck. and tw well, mine was 2019, but there's Rachel yeah. and Jody was 2020 and it's just crazy. And now poor Katie. So I just feel for them. Oh, it's tough God. to go on. <laughs> it's very tough to go on. So yeah. Oh my God. That's horrible. Yeah. It's, it's just a reality of, uh, mm. I think racing, like the fact that Jody got back on form, I think is just so impressive. Like Rachel was able to do it within a few months. And, uh, it's just like a part of every athlete's story. Like that's, mm. it's like, it's a sad part, but it's a part of overcoming, I think for sure. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't want to say teaching, but maybe, Oh, I can't think of another word, but almost teaching you something else about yourself that you, you yeah. find something else within, you know, within yourself or I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and almost, I guess, maybe even relying on triathlon as well, because it's, it's kind of something that you can control to, to a point, you know, yep. it's, yeah. For me, triathlon was such a gift in the final stages of like my mom's illness yeah. because my dad was sick too. And so, but oh. I could train anywhere. So I would just go back to Canada for like weeks at a time in 2018. I was spending almost half the year in Canada, just going back to be with my mom during different phases of chemo and also going to see my dad who was in the same town, but in a long-term care facility. And it was just like so nice. Cause if I had a normal human job, I just would have been out of work, mm. you know? So the ability to go back and forth was really, really a blessing and let me be there for my mom and be a caregiver to her and, and things like that. So I was grateful for it, but it was just like a switch <laughs> for me. Yeah, right. It was just like, she passed and it was like, I joke I, that it was like, if you've ever seen The Price is Right, the, uh, the American game show, there's a really famous game called Plinko, I think it is, where it's like this piece of plastic like goes through all these different ob obstructions and what makes it to the bottom. Not everything makes it to the bottom and triathlon didn't make it to the bottom. <laughs> it was like, it yeah, was like right. family, friends, find a new career. <laughs> I was, oh, I was wow. just like needed a new purpose yeah. for sure. Wow. Um, like I say, this has actually been recording. Did, did you want to talk about this stuff or? I'm fine with it. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm perfectly capable of talking about it now. Like it's, yeah. I feel, I'm not going to say I'm like healed, but I'm emotionally enough together to like be able to chat it out for sure. Okay. And I guarantee there are lots of athletes that are, have lost someone in the last year mm. and it's triathlon can be a haven for healing and, and mm -hmm. recovering and processing grief, yeah, <laughs> you know, cause there's a lot of not healthy ways to process grief. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Gosh. And then you just think about ad addictions and things like that. And if triathlon is th that addiction, then yeah, that's okay. Um, <laughs> it's better than the alternative. Yeah. Yeah. Do you mind me asking, I mean, you mentioned chemo with your mom. Mm -hmm. Was it, 
was it cancer over a long period of time or did it come on no. fast or uh. it was fast it was I 2017 was such a weird year for me because I that's when I I know I saw you after that but I really remember seeing you in Kona in 2017 yeah and I woke up on race morning with an email saying your father has been diagnosed with uh, oh god dement- yeah <laughs> Louis body dementia and Parkinson's I got that email on race morning and I knew it was a bad email. And so I had Jared read it and I was basically like, can I race today? Like I didn't let myself read it, but he's like, this is not good news, but it's news that can wait. And it didn't matter. Like it didn't matter that I knew what the news was or not. Cause I was just like, yeah, it's not good news. So I was just sad about it. So that was like a tough day for me. I wouldn't say it screwed up my race. I'm not going to say that, but it was just like, that was kind of when I felt like the rug pulled out from under me. And I basically spent like the next few months just assisting my dad because he was in a really bad way. And, um, you know, when we, we got to, the way the Canadian like healthcare system works is you have to be placed into long-term care. So you have to apply and you might not get in near your family. Mm. You might get in somewhere far away. And so it was months of like, getting him to different private facilities, trying to take care of him. And because of the memory loss, he was exit seeking and everything just kept failing. And so it was, it just like, even though I was managing triathlon, like life was just so much more important at that time. And it was not even six months later, my mom was diagnosed with cancer. And um, she called me from the hospital to tell me, to just say, hey, like, something's not okay. I'm jaundiced. She's an RN. She's a nurse. And so if she was telling me it was not great news, that it was probably not good. So by the next day I was flying up to Canada to, to be there for her surgery. Um, and they figured out, yeah, the tumor was inoperable. So she had a a big old tumor on her gallbladder, uh, that was pinching her bile duct that turned her yellow. So there's absolutely no symptoms of gallbladder cancer. So she just, worked and worked and worked, had no idea and was so focused on helping us with our dad. Um, of course she, yeah, she just like (laughs) was not even thinking about herself and, uh, which was my classic mom. (laughs) She was Mm. very, very selfless. And, uh, they thought she'd have about six months to live. Um, but she got 15 because she did the chemo and stuff like that. And that is anyone that's like been through cancer knows that's a debate for every individual because you're Mm. sick when you do chemo your quality of life can be diminished depending on how you respond to the chemo. And, um, she decided to go that route because, uh, grandbaby was just born. She just wanted as much time with, uh, Dixon as she could get. So, um, so yeah, it was just like, it was pretty heart wrenching and it was super hard to watch, um, someone who is used to caring for others, mm. uh, especially as a nurse. Um, God, RNs are amazing. Yes. I think it's literally like they're superheroes. Yeah. Yeah. So, and my mom was a damn good nurse. She was so good. I can't even tell you how many like people I had met her patients along the way that were like, your mom is an angel. Like she was so good at what she did. She did the nitty gritty hard stuff. She worked with homeless people. She works with like AIDS patients. She worked in palliative care, which takes like a very special human. Mm. And, uh, she ended up passing in the place, the last place that she worked. So she was surrounded by her coworkers and oh, things like that. So it was, uh, as much as it was like very hard, it was also 
felt full circle, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. Like Mm. her time as a caregiver. Um, and it was her two favorite nurses that were their shifts. I swear she was waiting for 11 PM because she, she passed at 11 PM on July 4th and her one closest coworker was finishing her shift and her other closest coworker was starting. her. Oh gosh. So they were in the room at the same time. Yeah. She was in control. She knew what was what. (laughs) Yeah. She was definitely in the driver's seat for that one. So she, um, yeah, she was it, it, where she got to pass a hospice in Huntsville, Ontario, where actually Muskoka 70.3 is. Um, and it's actually run by a triathlete. So I had, Oh my God, the triathlon world is weird. <laughs> it's so, so weird, but I yeah. was so, uh, grateful. I had met her a few years prior in the locker room, <laughs> the local pool. <laughs> so wow, to see her familiar face and she was also like a coworker of my mom's. Like, so it was just, we felt so taken care of and uh, hospice caregivers, nurses, doctors, anyone that deals in that um, sort of realm is, is are real superheroes. They're pretty incredible people and so good at what they do. Yeah. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. One of my good friends is, well, she's already, she's finished studying and she's probably a year into her first, whatever you call it, working. But yeah, it's called something else. Like, like interning, interning. I don't know. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, residency. Is it residency? Yeah. Yeah. That sounds. I think that's what they say in Grey's Anatomy. I think that's right. <laughs> <laughs> or Scrubs, either or. Um, and I feel like sh- she's the kind. She's she's my go. If I need to contact someone for help or whatever, she's the first person that I would call oh, yeah. um yep. not not my husband because he would never pick up the phone uh but we've had conversations and um I just couldn't think of a better person it I think it takes a unique person in that role and it's something that can't be taught I don't think yeah I it's agree be they were blood. and Canada has like a yeah from what I understand some really beautifully like set up situations like this one was it was literally Mm. looked like a cabin from the outside it did not feel like a hospital there was nothing like um sad or sterile about it it was a beautiful it looked like a home it really did there was a kitchen and all the other families that had people in hospice care and I want to say there was only about eight rooms right um so it was really really intimate um it was just about like just being together as a family you know and that's because it we had to be, you know, she, she did not want to be alone. That was one of her requests. And so one mm. of the, one of four kids. And so either myself or one of my brothers was there all the time to be there with her. So it's tough going 10 days of watching someone pass is, is, is really, really hard. And there's a lot of like tough aspects about it that you don't know until you're in it. Mm. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's tough for sure. But it was, um, I was happy it went the way she wanted it to, which okay. gave me peace. Yeah. Yeah. And sorry, is it th- three brothers? Three brothers, yeah. Oh, wow. So were you having to look after them a little bit as well? Um, me and uh, – that's a great question. I felt like we were all kind of leaning on each other at different points. Like we'd have good days and bad days. Yeah. Um, I was so grateful Jer- Jared was able to be with me, my husband. Mm. Like he was – I found it out as executor just days before she passed. I had no idea. I don't think she even really realized it. Um, like I, I, chemo brain is real. Like anyone mm. that's like been through chemo, it's like, it just takes 
aspects of like your life away. And so one of the things like was her grasp on dying and, and kind of what was involved. And she kept showing me stuff, but like she was convinced it was one person. But anyways, long story short, it was me and my brother who both live in the States. <laughs> so it was like super, like we were the two worst people <laughs> to be settling her estate. Oh, but there God. we were, <laughs> couldn't do anything about it because by the time we found out she was you know, just not in, in a situation where she could make changes to her affairs. So, yeah. um, yeah, so <laughs> I was able to do everything from afar. COVID slowed things way down, but, um, yeah, it was definitely tough to be doing that yeah. <laughs> for the last year and a half. Yeah, I bet. Um, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. Don't apologize. Like, it's fine. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, my grand's has been put in a home. Fuck, sorry, sorry. Oh, you have nothing to apologize for. Uh, I was fine until you started talking about the... <laughs> Executor. But, like, the actual the things that you don't think about. Because oh, yeah. it's, it's sad and then all of a sudden someone says you have to make all these decisions or... Mm-hmm. And that's... Um, yeah. Yeah, that's super confronting. Um, yeah. Yeah. Sorry to make that about me. That, oh no, fuck. it's it's fine. The thing the the thing that I've realized is that everyone relates to this, mm. and um, one of like my passions in my work now as an organizer has been to what I, I'm really passionate about working with the elderly population because mm. they're really neglected. Not wouldn't say neglected they're lonely right now their adult Mm. children can't visit them as easily or maybe they're afraid to have people over yeah but even pre-covid i can't tell you how often people don't have their affairs in order and their money doesn't go where they want it to they don't get the type of burial they maybe wanted or they they're out you know all of those things there's so many things like that are it taken into consideration everything from like life insurance all of that so that's been like a big passion for me when I work with clients now is I'm in their offices all the time. Offices are a very common project for me and um, really ensuring that people know where are the life insurance policies? Who are the beneficiaries? Do you have a will? Do you understand when was the last time you did your will? Is it up to date? Do your executors know their executors? Do you have a durable power of attorney? Do you have a power of attorney for if you're deemed incapacitated, does that person know they're your, <laughs> your power of attorney? So it's mm. like all of these different things that are really, really important because unfortunately there are people that are not interested in being your power of attorney. And if they yeah. say no, which they can, then it's up to the courts and uh, it can be, it can be really tough. So yeah, it's a sat, kind of a, like, not super, fun topic to talk about, (laughs) but it's really, really important. And Mm. definitely if I could have gone back and talked with my mom more about how she wanted things done, I I would have And finding money, figuring out where investments are. It was like, I was seeing around in a dark room with a blindfold on. It was so Mm. difficult. So even though they're not comfortable conversations to have, we have to have these conversations because otherwise, um, the consequence can be pretty, pretty unideal. Yeah, absolutely. Oh gosh. Growing up, adulting. Awesome. Seriously. (laughs) Even like, gosh, even like being like, I'm, I share power of attorney of my father, you know, like it's, 
it's, it's tough, like being responsible for decisions and, you know, memory loss is like a very real thing that people mm. face. And it's, it can be, um, actually, I think it was like just Jack Hanna, uh, the wildlife expert, just his family came out and said, he's got Alzheimer's and it's oh, just gosh. tough. Yeah. 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 It's like, it's just a really like vicious thing, but unfortunately at some point in that process, like you're going to lose the ability to make decisions for yourself mm. and that loss of independence for anyone is really tough. But if, um, you can have those difficult conversations, then you can just go about living, but just be uncomfortable for that couple of hours. It takes to sit down with a lawyer or yeah. financial advisor, whoever it takes to get all that stuff together. Yeah. And then just, you never have to talk about it again until you need to, but yeah. I just always advocate for that. It's like my little PSA. Got it. <laughs> Noted. It's something that we've been discussing here and something that we, yeah, it's like our next step in the journey of becoming adults. <laughs> yes, <laughs> for sure. It's like getting a will, <laughs> joint bank account, <laughs> all of those things. I don't think we even... Yeah, no, we finally do have a joint bank account. It took us like seven years. <laughs> oh, that makes, me, that makes me feel so much better because I always think, oh, shit, are we, are we like really bad at this marriage thing if we haven't done that yet? But oh, it no. took us forever to okay. do it. And it was just like, I don't know why. I think it's one of those things that you're like, well, his, his money's my money and my money's his money anyways. Like it wasn't even a, a thing to us. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Might have been right around 2013, Jared was like, Maybe we should get a joint bank account like when I had my really big year. <laughs> Wins high V, uh, signs joint account. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Smart that looks man. like a big check. We better get a joint yeah. bank account. <laughs> uh, and I, I hope you walked into the bank account with a massive oversized check. What, do I, what can I do with this? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, oh, that funny. actually, interestingly, I, I recycled all of those when I retired. I had kept a bunch of the really big ones. And that's how I knew I was like, even Hella is one of my closest friends, Hella Fredrickson. Yeah. She's like, you, you, you throw out the big checks. And I was like, she's like, you're, you're really retired. <laughs> you're <laughs> you're really ready. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, I've got like just a handful of things left for my career. I threw up most of my race suits as well. Like it was just, I was done within a few months. I had sold all my equipment. Like, yeah, it was crazy. Wow. And when, I, when I was done, I was done. It was an absolute switch for me. Please excuse this very brief interruption. I'm just here to say, if you are not already a Wits Up Patreon member, please consider signing up. It really helps us out and supports Wits Up to continue to bring you powerful narratives of women in sport. Just click the link in the description below uh, or just simply go to patreon.com slash Wits Up. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Wits Up. And I assume you know how to spell Wits Up. Uh, okay, back to the podcast. So it's interesting that you say that essentially you were just cold turkey done mm-hmm. because, uh, and I apologize because I probably should have reached out to find out why, but I felt like you just disappeared. Mm-hmm. Off the f- yeah. <laughs> so, so, so you succeeded in what you were trying to do. Yes. Um, but, and it sounds like the process was pretty, pretty quick, but can, can yeah. we talk through like essentially the catalyst, which we've kind of touched on anyway, but mm-hmm. then just, what do you actually do? Do you actually, like, I don't remember an announcement or anything. I don't really remember anything happening. So what was, how did you yeah. do it? So 
Um, I'll like, I'll start with the catalyst. So my mm. mom passed on July 4th of 2019 mm. and I, knew like within a few weeks that I was pretty sure I wanted to retire. Like I tried to, to get back into training. I think it was around like six weeks where I was like training was just like, didn't feel good. And after, so Jared, yeah. After, after my mom passed. Yep. Yeah. And I was just like, I come from a psychology background. So I was like, okay, you know, it's just grief. Like when you process the emotional stuff, like it's going to start to feel better. And my mom had suggested organizing as a job to me at one point. And I just didn't think it was an actual career. And so then I started looking into organizing when I was looking at retiring. And so it was like triathlon was doing this and like my interest in organizing was doing this. <laughs> and yep. so... And sorry, um, sorry to interrupt, but before, and obviously there was a period of time where your mum was really sick, mm-hmm. but, but kind of prior to that, where was your headspace in, in regards to triathlon? Were you still, were yeah. you a bit, I don't know... I think in 2017 was, I felt like the last year where the money was still good. And Mm. I, I can't speak for all women, but I feel like sponsorship really went down in 2018. Mm -hmm. I felt like there was this like switch where it was like all of a sudden, like $5,000 was a big contract. Mm. (laughs) Like it was like, yeah. You know, it was just, I felt like it just switched and I don't know exactly what happened. It it became hard to get deals. It became hard to get interest. Like it was tough Mm. and I didn't love the sport enough at that point to have raced to make $30,000 in a year. Like Mm. that to me, triathlon was a job. I loved Mm. it, but I had done it for long enough where it was not, I didn't do it for the passion anymore. I did it because sure. I loved winning and I made good money doing it or like yeah. pushing myself and like maybe yeah, not yeah. winning, but like reaching new goals. Like it really was a job to me, mm. a job that I loved, but it was a job. Sure. And, and I think it's because I did it for so long. Like there's not a ton of other people, but I was talking with Hella the other day that there was a generation of women that her and I raced with um, that did it from a really young age. And I'd put like Liz Blatchford, Annabelle Luxford, um, into that group, Jody Swallow, mm-hmm. Hello is one of them, Nicola Spirig, Daniela Riff. Like we've been doing this sport forever. I raced for 22 years as a pro. Like Fuck. people forget I was good. that, hey? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was good. I didn't have anything else I was like really interested in. So I, I knew I was getting like when the money wasn't good, I was like, oh, I don't know how much longer I want to do this, but I didn't know what was next. So the second yeah. I figured out what was next, it was, I was out, especially when a, like the passion really took over in, tra- in uh, organizing yeah. and I just jumped in head first. I mean, it was October 13th of 2019. I got my LLC to start my business. What's and, that? Uh, Limited Liability Corporation. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's just like... I'm a real thing now. <laughs> I'm a business. <laughs> and um, anyway, so I ended up just diving in headfirst organizing. And I um, I did do an announcement on Instagram, but like it, it just, I didn't make a lot of fanfare about it. And I also don't ever, I never did feel like I was one of the really, really big names in the sport. So I think I, I'm the, was an athlete that could sort of quietly step out of the sport 
you know, I was never going to have like, you know, Hella had this like beautiful retirement moment in Ironman Denmark and she got to go down the finish line and thousands of people cheered her on. That was not <laughs> going to happen for me. Like, it was just like, and, and I'm cool with it. Like I never have loved the spotlight. It's, it, social media was always a struggle for me. Mm. I, I had followers cause I performed well a couple times <laughs> and won yeah. some big races and, and I was also good at a very obscure thing in our sport, yeah. Olympic distance non-draft, yeah. which, and I had my biggest years before Instagram was a thing. Yeah. And, uh, That's so, so, so interesting. It's so true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, and it's, uh, so I just didn't have that like same platform that other athletes that have retired in the last like mm. few years have. And so I did, it was just sort of like stage left. I was out. <laughs> Like it was, and I, you know, I just, I I have, I exited and I really did check out, like I wasn't posting on Instagram. I started a new Instagram for my organizing business and, uh, I barely exercise now. (laughs) Like, it's not even like I, I I really, I'm still participating. So it's, Mm. it's, yeah. So it was understandable that, um, I just sort of went quietly into the night (laughs) into the normal human life. Wow. (laughs) I'm very happy. (laughs) And that's wonderful to hear because I know a lot of elite professional athletes really struggle with retirement and when to retire and then what's after. Um, Mm -hmm. And not knowing a world outside of triathlon, there's so many out there and it seems like, um, yeah, it seems like you're you're reveling, like you're doing really well. Yeah, I, I think the battle is finding out what's next. Mm. You have to know what's next for you. And I really encourage triathletes, no matter where they are at in their professional careers, to be thinking about that. Mm. And it does not have to be um, in the sport. Mm. Like, I think a lot of triathletes think they need to become like coaches mm. or that they need to, you know, work for brands or that they need to like be national team directors or like if you love the sport great but that's not the only thing you're good at Mm. you know like that there's other industries who yes you may not be famous in that industry or well known in that industry but you your work ethic and your natural skills as a triathlete are really going to pay off yeah like I can't tell you how many of my clients that are like I have never seen anyone hustle like you like our (laughs) our work ethic is is Mm. pretty amazing to do mm. this as a career. So I, I really encourage professional triathletes, especially right now, because I feel like the state of our sport is super fragile right now. And there's some exciting things happening, but I wouldn't be basing my retirement <laughs> savings off of what triathlon can give me right now. Yep. You have to have a plan. And if you don't have a plan, you are living pretty risky. Yeah, because the sport can exit whenever it wants with yeah. no consequence. It doesn't owe you a thing. Yeah. There's no severance package. <laughs> they're, they're, we saw them cancel world championships like it was nothing. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and there went your biggest opportunity to get sponsorships, make prize money. You know, it just it went away. So, and I don't know what the sponsorship landscape is like right now, but it can't be good. That's my two cents. Yeah. <laughs> And, and, but, you know, I'm sitting here listening to someone who was, and granted, obviously, in, in, a, in a niche within a niche sport, 
Yeah, you, exactly. you were you were an extremely successful uh, Olympic distance mm-hmm. non-drafting athlete, like one off, if not the best, during that period of time. And then mm-hmm. it's almost like you know, and then you, well, you're kind of forced to go up to half distance racing because yeah. that yeah. petered off. Olympic so distance went away. Yeah, well, did it didn't peter and, off. And that's it what I, just went. Yeah, again, and right? that's what I mean. Mm. Like when a sponsor decides or when a corporation decides that they're done, they're done. And there went like my career, yep. my prize money that had been like over six figures for a couple of years yeah. in prize money. Like that That's prize insane. money was insane. Yeah. We had it so, so good. Like I was talking with Hella and I think Haskins about a year ago, like it was just, we mm. didn't realize how good we had it. You know, yeah. it was just like something we had come to expect. And when that went away, yeah, and that's the thing is like sport can come and go. We have mm. had people interested in the sport and then push in all this money and then depart from the sport. So it's like you can't count on any of it. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, I think having a plan for what's next yeah. should always be on athletes' minds. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so organizing. It- yes. <laughs> <laughs> Like, even when we first started this, you're like, I just got back from work. And even that, I was like, yeah. oh, yeah, you do that now. Like, yeah, because you know, I know you as the triathlete and it is yeah. it is so great. And I, f- I think I follow your account. Oh, I stalked it for a bit anyway. Yeah. And I was like, you you seem to love it. Like, you you are I into legit, it. <laughs> I legit love it. It's like a, a real thing. Like, people <laughs> think I'm absolutely nuts, but like love like my love language is labeling a hundred percent like I love labeling things and like just making people's lives easier is like my absolute most favorite thing in the world and I just I think I have the best job and I think when and I love it more than I love triathlon which is like kind of insane to say and maybe it's because it's new and it's fresh and I'm in that honeymoon stage but like I love making people's lives better like the after moment where a client's seeing their space for the first time and I've just made like a single mom's life easier because her pantry looks beautiful and now her kids can reach the snacks. It's like, yes, those are super small wins, but she will feel that win for days Mm. and weeks and years because of what I did for her. Mm. And Mm. that feels really, really good. And so I, I like serving people. I love helping people. I always knew customer service and making people important feel important was a strength for me. And so this business really plays into that. And I love doing handy woman stuff. I hate that I even have to say handy woman. There used to be some like gender neutral word for that handy man, handy woman, but I get to build closets. I get to like build shelving systems. Like it combines a lot of the things that I love to do. And then I think my final strength is my counseling background. So helping people let go of things. Um, I don't work with everyone's like, Oh, you must work with hoarders. It's like, no, that's like in the DSM, it's a diagnosable psychiatric condition. Like that's outside of my scope of practice, but I do help people that have a lot of stuff and Americans are consumers. Like we have a lot of stuff. (laughs) And so I help people, you know, live with less stuff and, um, be at peace with that. And that's really, really cool. Like we don't realize the reasons we have attachments to things. Like I just told you, I let go of some cardboard checks and your jaw dropped. Yeah. Like it's like the emotion, it's the attachment is to the achievement and I'm proud of that achievement, but the achievement is not, um, it's the memory's not held in that check. So I very happily was able to just let those go 
because they took up so much physical space in my home. So uh, being able to do that for clients is pretty cool because a lot of people are drowning and stuff. <laughs> wow. I've never thought about it like that. Like, yeah. You, you're pulling in – well, I imagine as a triathlete you're probably – and I don't want to say this lightly because we do joke saying OCD and everything. And, and I yes. know that that's a condition, especially speaking yep. to someone with a psych background. I'm probably yep. really fluffing over that. And I don't mean to. But yep. I feel like as an athlete that you would have, you know, had those tendencies and organisational skills. And then the psych background as well. Mm-hmm. I, honestly, when you said I do organizing, I was like, I don't, I don't understand. But now it makes complete sense when you break it down like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know how many times you saw me in transition or had seen me at a race meeting, but like, I was crazy. Yes, <laughs> yeah. That like I had a plan for everything. Like, yeah. if someone like I had all the things that would fix all the things. I had contingency plans for everything. Nothing was going to prevent me from getting to the finish line. Yeah. And so that skill set just completely paid off. That attention to detail. Like, I knew my bike inside and out. I serviced my bike inside and out. Like, I didn't trust people with my bike on race week. So, and uh, it was. It was time with actually like Ben Powell, um, Hella's husband, like really sitting down with him, like Nate Cordham, Sarah's husband. Mm-hmm. You know, these these are women I raced with that had husbands who were supporting them in that role. But my husband raced. Mm-hmm. I was on my own. And so I was carrying the luggage. I was the mechanic. <laughs> you know, like yeah. I had to do all those things, the photographer, like all the, the things that you're supposed to also do and win the race. Um you know, which was tough. So being highly, highly detail oriented was crucial to my success. And it was the only way I got to the start line, uh, feeling very confident and calm. And, uh, like, I I don't know how, like Sarah true, like I adore her, but like her vibe on race morning, she's so loosey goosey. It's like, so I have a pump. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I have like a floor pump and then I have like a hand pump and then I've got like four or five CO2s like in case those fail. Like, you know, and it was oh, St. Wow. George, I remember. And it was like right after I found out about my mom. It was one of my last really big races. Yeah. And uh, I was, Sarah and I, she's like, wow, we are so different on race morning. I'm like, we sure are. <laughs> we sure are. You know, she, she rolls with being super relaxed. Whereas like I was highly, highly detail oriented, very structured yeah. on race morning. I even had a things to do list for the things I did in order when I showed up to transition to ensure nothing was forgotten. Like I've never been diagnosed with OCD, but if I didn't like follow that list in that exact order, it did not feel right. Um, and not that I couldn't adapt, but I had to, I didn't like that being interrupted. Um, so even things like torque wrenches, I had to have like torque keys because if I tighten something like one Newton meter too tight, I was like, it could result in the carbon fracturing. Like all, like those are all things, all those details were dialed in on my, my equipment. Wow. (laughs) I don't think it was exhausting. (laughs) So you're like organizing houses is easy compared to easy swim bike run. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No one's career is on the line that day. (laughs) No one's mortgage payments are on the line that day. Like it was just being able to do that in such a high stress situation and being the one who performs like, yeah, it's, 
organizing is right on my alley. <laughs> do you, but do you think if you had a partner who wasn't racing and who could mm-hmm. come in and help that you would let, let go and let them? That's a great question. Uh, I had a very small circle of people that I trusted. Yeah. Like on my equipment and like with my body, like a race week, whether it was like massage therapist. So I, I was not afraid to delegate, like if I, right. if I could, but there was only a certain amount of delegation that I could um, feel comfortable with, if that sure. made sense. Because I, I did feel like ultimately it was, it was my race mm-hmm. and I didn't want to blame anyone for my lack of success that day. So you know, if I like something happened to my bike and I was like, oh, that's that mechanic did that. He didn't tighten those bolts on my bike. Well, that's my own fault because mm-hmm. I put my race in an exhausted mechanic's hand, mm-hmm. the race week of Kona, you're mm-hmm. an idiot. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like I, I, that's how I saw it was just, yeah, I just wanted to feel completely in control of my result and by mm-hmm. completely being in control was knowing my bike inside and out, servicing my bike inside and out. And um, that's really the only part of our sport that's like very, uh, there's a lot of shit that can go wrong yeah. <laughs> with a bike. <laughs> Little bit. Once I was like running, it was like, it's not like you're, you're going to get a flat shoe, <laughs> you know, or like something. Yeah. You could drop your nutrition, but you just stop and get it. You yeah. Know? So, but it was even more so in Olympic distance because the mm. opportunity for things to go wrong and you to recover from them was like yeah. the same, but you couldn't recover from those errors as well. So yeah, um, the shorter the distance, the more OCD I got. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> so did you ever end up having any mechanical issues that you're, no, nah, of course you didn't. No. Oh God, I rate that. I love that so much. Cause too many times I hear of, and unfortunately, particularly women who don't yeah. spend time getting mm-hmm. to know their bike and, and the mechanics of the bike. Yeah. I mean, that's your own fault. Like, I don't mean that as like, in, in our, in our, as an athlete, regardless of whether you're male or female, and I don't know whether our male athletes are so inclined to learn more mm. about your bike, but as women, I really encourage women to empower themselves and mm. get to know their bikes. You are perfectly capable of servicing your bike just as well as any guy. Mm. There's not mm. like some special, like you have a penis so you can do this. Like you're going to be just fine. Like, and start on YouTube, watch videos. Like there's nothing, there's so much out there on the internet where you can Mm. learn and watch these things and practice it in your off season. That's what I did. Like, and I'll give my husband like tons of props. Like when I got better at the bike stuff than him, he was like, you know what? I can see how much calmness like this brings you to travel with your bike and know your bike so well. You're not freaking out about getting your bike into a mechanic. Mm. You're not running around to bike shops. I carried and everything I could possibly need. I traveled with DI2 wires. I traveled with brake cables. I traveled with, wow. I had a full mechanic setup. The only thing I didn't bring was like a bottom bracket, bottom bracket tool. I had extra chains. I had extra pedals. I traveled with two sets of wheels. Like I did it all. And, um, you know, so Jared was like, I'm going to build a bike. And so that's what he did. And I think that's one of the best ways to learn is to just yep. start from scratch, see the skeleton of a bike and then put, I call it like the veins and the organs all in, which is your components and so that you can learn it. And uh, that became like a real passion for me and provided me so much peace on race day wow. was be- was because I knew it. And if something went wrong, I could probably fix it. And if even it could, and honestly, even if something went wrong in Kona and like we had those like cool mechanic guys, I would probably do it myself. I'd be like, give me that. 
because I wouldn't want anyone to touch it <laughs> because it's like my stuff. You were so much so. more cooler than I thought. I mean, I mean, no, that sounded wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I thought this was going to be the worst interview. <laughs> That's not what I mean. <laughs> I was really dreading getting up for this. <laughs> I've always thought you were cool. You are way cooler. I can't, I can't say it without it sounding offensive and I really mean it as a, like, I just kind of think you're a bit badass. It feels but like, thank you. Yeah. I, I think the, the thing is with, I think someone at triathlete, and I cannot remember who said this to me, said, you'll be one of the best triathletes that existed that no one's ever heard of. And huh. I just think that it was because of me being good at an obscure aspect of our sport. Yeah. And I didn't give a shit about social media. Yeah. Bad combo. Yeah. For being a star. I didn't, I have, like, I don't care that someone knows who I am or doesn't know who I am. Like, that. Yeah. It does, it never phased me. Like, I was never, I never cared about being on magazine covers. I never cared to be, like, lusted after or be on those, like, hot girl triathlete lists. Like, it was just never something that I strive to. I, legit just loved winning races and I wanted to win and when and and I also loved that it was my job yeah and so when that job component went away because the money became so little and then yeah the timing of my mom passing it was like I'm good like I was really proud of what I'd done in the sport and there's nothing I would change or nothing that I wish I could go back and do I watched challenge Daytona happily as a as a commentator yeah (laughs) I'm good (laughs) Well, because I, I think I remember one of our discussions when I, and I think it was actually the first time I met you in Kona when I came to the resort. Yeah, um, yeah. And hung out with you and Lisa. And it was, it was mm-hmm. awesome because I didn't know, well, I actually didn't even know e- either one of you all that well. Um, yeah. I was actually watching footage of this just the other day and there's a bit where <laughs> I think I joked because you were running towards the camera and stuff and I yeah. was filming it as well. And I think I joked, I'm like, oh, can you like almost jump over me? And you're like, oh, yeah, okay. And I said, actually, no, 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 I, I'm joking. Because imagine if you tried to jump over me while I'm taking a photo and you do your hammy and it's all my fault. And anyway, I've, caught, I've got that on. I'll try and find it and I'll send it over. But anyway, the interview section, I just remember you sort of, we were talking along the lines of, yeah, I don't really do a whole lot of these kind of things. And, and I was mm-hmm. shocked. And you're like, yeah, it's okay, whatever. I don't, you just... Mm-hmm. You didn't seem to give a shit then either. Not give a mm-hmm. shit, but you were just like, that, that's yeah. just the way it is and that's okay. Mm-hmm. I'm here to race. I'm mm-hmm. not here for the for the fanfare. And that, mm-hmm. I got that sensation from you back then. Yeah, yeah. It was mm. just, it was never important to me and I, I struggle with it now in my business because, you know, social media is a great way to, to grow mm. your business. And as a small business owner, it's like a, a free way to market yourself. Mm. Um, as an athlete for me, to me, sponsorship dollars, endorsements should be just straight up be going to the best athletes in the world. Mm. And um, it was like one of the reasons I loved um, working with Specialized like back in the day was because they just sponsor the best athletes and they don't mince, mince words about it. And when you stop performing, they let you go. Yeah. <laughs> or you find a better contract like Lucy Charles, who's like, good for her. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, that's awesome. Yeah. But I sort of love the simplicity of that, like the no bullshit perform and we'll pay you we'll sign you um you know yes there are dream sponsorships like i had like with triflare like they were just like 
this obscure tiny mm-hmm. little company in the states that supported me through and through and i had some other really wonderful sponsors and i'm not here to like mm-hmm. plug those relationships but you know i just uh i raced to win mm-hmm. and that was it like and it's and i coming from a sports psychology background all sorts of professors would tell you oh, that's, that's not a good idea like you shouldn't race to win like i i i loved it <laughs> and it was it really what drove me and i loved dominating other athletes like when I was very dominant in Olympic distance I remember I I used to say I want to beat you so badly that you question why you're doing the sport (laughs) that was literally actually say that to someone no but that was what I would think (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) like I was literally I thought that way like I enjoyed putting myself through pain and knowing that I was anyone that was trying to stay with me was going through just as much pain or if not more and um, it was really training under Joel Filial's squad that um, I really got into that yeah. was because there are certain people that I trade with that loved it when it's like, you're going to go with me today? Well, you're in okay. for a treat because <laughs> you're like, yeah, it was just that group just put each other through pain and it was like calculated and I just got very good at managing pain and I felt so confident from that training that I didn't think anyone could put themselves through pain like I could. I don't think I'm very talented. If you knew my easy run pace right now, you would know that I'm not talented. <laughs> I think I was just <laughs> extremely hardworking, very detail-oriented, super yeah. dedicated. And uh, that paid off at, on big days. Um, and yeah. I loved big days. It didn't stress me out. Yeah. Fuck, see, you're badass. I like it. You just, I don't often hear women speak like that. And and I've had this discussion just so happens to be a lot in the last week. And probably more around like the banter and just being the, yeah. the, the um, uh, unafraid to just be so authentic and in terms of, is that Jared? Hi, Jared. That's Jared. In yeah. The background. You're on the internet. <laughs> you're going viral. Like those going viral. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, when women speak speak their mind about yeah. you know having confidence or wanting to beat um, uh, other other competitors, it's not a personal mm-hmm. thing. Oh, that's that's the, that's me as a competitor. I'm nowhere mm-hmm. near an elite uh, triathlete, but whenever I've raced and have been reasonably good at racing, or when I played team sport, I wanted to beat the competition mm-hmm. off. Off the racetrack, I, mm-hmm. you know, no dramas, sweet, friendly, but yeah, yeah, that day. And but why does it when women talk like that, it comes across as arrogant? It, sorry, to me, it doesn't come across like that, but society yeah, people... sort of, yeah, and it's cocky, not confident. So I'm like, I don't, I, I understand because it's a societal thing, but yeah. like, how do we? I want to change it because it drives me insane. And listening to the way that you used to approach things I'm like yeah that's what that's what we need we need more of that in yeah my opinion. I, I I agree and I think there's certain athletes that are willing to be like very um yeah just like really confident and out there I think Rinny's one of them yeah I really have always looked up to how um confident she is when she's on she's on mm. and she will say so and but I think the athlete that really helped me feel confident in um, to, to speak that way and just to be just frank about mm. how I approached competition was Hella. 
Um, she's Danish. They do yeah. not mince words. Like <laughs> they're so straightforward. And um, I trained with her day in and day out for like four years straight. We did every session together and uh, we became really, really good friends. But the thing that like, when the gun went, we were not friends yeah. <laughs> like That's at all. Awesome. Like we were fierce competitors and I wasn't doing anything to help her on race day and she was not doing anything to help me. And it was, she saw me race once like in pretty peak form in 2013. And she was like, you know, you can still be kind, sweet Alicia and also not say go hella on the race course when you go by me, <laughs> you know, like yeah. you don't have to like care about others when you race. Yeah. You can be supremely selfish. Like and she, she didn't say it in all these words, but this is like what I absorbed, which was that it is okay to be completely self-absorbed. Yeah. And I struggled with that. I am not a selfish person. I am a giver. Mm -hmm. And I will hand over my last gel, Mm -hmm. you know, to someone else. And she's like, you can't do that. Like you're training Mm -hmm. too hard and Mm -hmm. there's too much good money out there. And our opportunity to do this is like, you've got to maximize it. And like, I was literally like, I would ride up on someone and be like, great job. Like, Like, just dumb things like that and it's like why am I doing that and so when I just fully embraced this persona this new persona of Alicia that was like unapologetically here to destroy you yeah I just game changer just yeah it was that was it it was just like yeah like I don't want to just win by a little like I want you to question how you got here <laughs> <So good. laughs> like, like that was and I remember I was, I said this to Joel at a like coach athlete meeting and Paula was hearing and Paula I remember sat there and she was like, I'm afraid to race you. <laughs> and she was like, and Joel's like, you need to like take some of Alicia's mindset and like put it in your brain because that sort of like relentless, like hungry, mm. like attitude is like, you know, athletes like like Apollo at the time and this is in 2013 yeah, yeah. like right after 2012 it was like she she could have used some of it <laughs> totally totally yeah wow yeah. It, it it actually always reminds me of Mary Beth Ellis like she yeah. she's aggressive on the race course but this totally tiny like even her voice is like meek and mild like you know yeah. she's this tiny little person off it and yeah. but don't fuck with her on race day just yeah and I feel like um you can be as tough, as confident, as driven Mm -hmm. as you want on the race course. It doesn't mean that you're actually like, you're not going out there and kicking someone on the bike as you go past. Like you're not actually doing anything to them. You're you're just doing your your thing. Like, yeah. Yeah. With the swagger that you want to do it with. Like that's like exactly it. And I still like in Ironman, I found that really hard to sustain. And it was something that I had to like, that sort of intensity I had to back way off sure I I became more of like old Alicia like I needed that like pat on the bum from a girl that went by me and I I wanted to give her that back you know like that shared energy because gosh in like a mile I could be throwing up on the side of the road like you never knew what was going to happen in an Ironman and so I found that I had to tap back into like that a different persona for Ironman because it's such a vulnerable style of competing. Mm. Like mm. I, I never was able to get that like 
crazy, wildly confident. Like, but when I watch someone like Daniela or like those girls that women that, um, when they're having an amazing day, like I see that in them that like, you can't, you can't mess with me today. Like, (laughs) yeah, I'm going to crush you. Like yawn. I, I, when he's on, he, he has that, like that swagger about him. Yeah. And, um, yeah, like I, I just never got to really have that in Iron Man, but um, but I also don't think that was my jam. Like that wasn't my distance. So, um, and so. I was going to say I, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like I'm going to be right that it, the passion wasn't really there for the longer, the longer stuff. No, yeah. to me it was pacing, not racing. Yeah, like uh, it was yeah, just yeah. yeah. And I just I didn't like. I wouldn't say I didn't like it because I did. I like yeah. I enjoyed the challenge of it. I enjoyed. Um, get the stage that Kona provided like that was so cool like if that could have existed for Olympic distance that would have been a fantasy for me Um, but it was I just because I didn't I didn't get to win like that was the thing I didn't I never was as successful as I was at Olympic distance and um, it just wasn't in my skill set in the same way. And gosh, I trained under some pretty amazing coaches trying to figure out this iron distance thing for mm. me. And my problem was I threw up. Like, gosh, I tried everything. And throwing up is no fun. Yeah, no. And uh, <laughs> it's, I just couldn't keep calories down. And the handful of races that I did keep calories down, it was just like I, I drastically underperformed based off of what I did in races. And on Olympic distance, I was the opposite. I overperformed based off of what I did in training. So just never quite figured that out. And even halves, it was like nothing compared to what I was capable of doing at Olympics. So um, I wouldn't say nothing, but it just, uh, my talents were in short course for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, You say, well, you don't say, you did. You just left the sport. (laughs) It was almost cold turkey done. Um, What enticed you to come back to do some of the commentary? Um, Bill Christie. Ah, (laughs) So yeah, yeah. yeah. I had met him, uh, through some charity cycling rides, uh, for, um, it's really cool. They like have professional triathletes and cyclists all come together with professional race car drivers around race week of, of, uh, Daytona, Daytona. And we had, I think met then. And then like, I think it was like prior to that. And he's like, I want to put a big triathlon at the Daytona Speedway. And so it had been years oh, of like wow. talking about it. You knew about yeah. these very early stages. Yeah, exactly. So, um, and Bill is like, I think you should announce. Like, I think you're the perfect person. You have ITU experience. You have long course experience. You, you know, a lot of the people still racing. So, um, and he just threw me in. <laughs> so it was great. I loved it though. It was such a rush. And yeah. I really loved being on the back of the moto and getting to commentate on the advances that are happening in our sport. It's really exciting. Athletes are really pushing the envelope mm. and actually getting to watch the men's racing. Cause so like, I very rarely followed the men's yep. racing. I was obviously naturally more interested in the women's stuff. So same. it's like, same. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's cool to get to like watch both of them and see what people are up to and um, how they're pushing the limits and, I mean, these are, these are women I raced with too, you know, so to like, but I never have the sense when I'm watching it, even when I'm on the moto, I'm like, I'm so glad I'm on a motorcycle right now. And I just get to like, (laughs) so much easier. Yeah. Like it's, I, there's no part of me that's itchy to be on the start line and competing with them. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very, very at peace with being on the sidelines and getting to, I guess, like just try to do what I can to contribute to the platform that 
Bill's trying to create yeah. and, and and create racing opportunities that um, get on TV. Like mm. that's a big deal for our sport mm. um, and um, do so in a way that like engages audiences and cr- just creating access to our sport. Like that that's just so important. Yeah, definitely. How's the, um, I love that you said this, actually, I don't even think you use this word, but it's the word I use when you're covering, covering an event. The adrenaline, the craziness of yeah. being at the right spot at the right time and, and <laughs> trying to predict the play and then talking about it. And it's it's full on. And I don't think, yeah. well, now that you've done it a couple of times, I think you can appreciate how much work goes yeah. into covering a race because people don't. It's, yeah, it's nuts. Like mm. if I told people the hundreds of people that were involved in the production end oh, of Challenge Daytona, they, they wouldn't believe it. Mm. Like it's... I literally, just for me, as one announcer, had a team of about six guys that would be in this little golf cart following me around, ensuring my sound was right, ensuring that I had the right mics, that my batteries were powered up. Like, wow, this is what Wits Up needs, right? It's a golf cart full of guys. <laughs> we, we all need a golf cart full of guys. <laughs> <laughs> Do you need snacks? Do you need water? Like, oh, they were like ma- sunscreen. Like, they were... Because <laughs> I always forget to put sunscreen on i never eat <laughs> i come home trash from every race i cover because i yeah. don't all i'm doing you is don't just take care of yourself no no i purposely dehydrate myself so i don't have to go pee on race day like it's just <laughs> like it's just ridiculous but um yeah like the the investment that bill is making into the production end is like absolutely insane like to have nascar yeah. productions putting on a triathlon like and people don't realize the weeks of meetings that we're doing leading into it, studying, you know, to have like Rick Allen learn about triathlon in yep. such a short period of time. And like, I mean, our first meeting, it was triathlon. Oh, like God. He, yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> like how quickly he learned about the sport. Like, I mean, now him and Belinda are like best friends. Like, it's really cool to see like the, these two sports. And I do think like at some point we're going to see this like, weird little crossover between race car driving and triathlon there's go it's it's cool yeah it's so cool to see in a tight venue and it's different racing we're not seeing the athletes we expect to win win yeah because you're never out of sight and out of mind and there are very particular certain athletes that like to race that way and you do not get that on any speedway interesting out of sight out of mind and athletes who like yeah, you, to race that way. Do you mean like yeah. cheat? Is that what you're saying? Is that what you're insinuating? Um, maybe if there's a <laughs> motorcycle up there for them to sit on. Yeah. But it's easy to – I'm not going to say it's easy to win that way because you had to do something amazing enough to get to sure. the end of the field and to have a gap. Yeah. But I do th- – like we we see world records get broken this way, right? Mm-hmm. Where someone's like way off the front and somehow they're like pulling away from a field and like, mm-hmm. you know, it's just sort of – I think that's the one aspect of our sport that I'm just kind of like, ugh, you know, but the effort that's put into giving these athletes a fair race and the 20 meter draft rule and like oh. our motos are, we have so much space on the track to just sit so high up. Like we're never in the athlete's way. Mm. We're never giving them a draft. Like, and it's, it's full on racing the entire time. Like yeah. these athletes are not getting a break you're never ever safe because someone who's hungry still sees you mm. oh yeah you're that's never true. safe yeah and like and even if they can't see you far away they can look at the jumbotron like there's there's so much information you're getting and athletes 
Like, that's why I think the IT-style athletes are really just, like, thriving in this environment. Yeah. Um, and, and athletes who just love to race. Like, I think Lucy Charles is one of those athletes that I think of who, who loves a race. Like, yeah. I honestly think she's she's incredibly confident. And I love that. Yeah. I love that she's unapolog- unapologetically confident. Yeah. She's like, yeah, I love to race. Who yeah. the hell was that on my feet? In the I know. <laughs> I know. I haven't done that before. Like, that's <laughs> yeah, and that was so good. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, so I just sort of, I, I love it. I, I, um, I just think that style of racing is really, really fun and mm. you don't get that in Ironman. Can you imagine an Ironman like on a course like that? Oh my God. It would, the athletes may like lose their minds, but sure does make for exciting racing. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and that will add another element to doing 180k bikes, or, you know, the mental side of it. Can they actually yeah. withstand just that alone? Mm. Yeah. Yep. No. And I mean, there's lots of different race courses, like racetracks out there. They're not always flat and oval. There's hilly ones. Yeah. There's ones with chicanes. There's, you know, so Bill's, Bill's working on this mm. a lot and it won't always be the Daytona Speedway. Yeah, sure. It's, we're going to have other tracks for sure. So uh, Miami was the first little taste of that, but I, I think we're going to see more. Awesome. Well, my very yeah. first duathlon was actually on a racetrack now that I think about it and yeah. I actually turned up a week early, got the dates wrong, which my best friend. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. But my best mate, cause she wanted to support me. She stayed at my house the Saturday night and um, was quite hung over the next morning, but she committed coming <laughs> to, to the race there. <laughs> and we turned up a week early and she was not happy. <laughs> so then, she That's came awesome. back again the next week, and yeah, but it was on a it was on a um uh, a racetrack. So yeah, full That's circle. Awesome. Look at that. My first world champs was on uh, racetrack in Montreal. Well, there you, you go. Know, so, so, yeah, our our sport definitely has history of yeah. being done on racetracks. So yeah, um yeah, and I remember that race. I want to say it was nine laps for an Olympic distance. Yeah, and I counted those at the age of fifteen. So anyone can do it. <laughs> I I did a race in Hobart in Tassie and it was, I think it was eight laps on the bike. Um, and I ended up, cause I was so nervous about my watch not working and not yeah. counting that I got little um, electrical tape and I put yeah. eight things on my bar and each time. So you yeah. ripped off. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what they did at those worlds. We got nine little stickers yeah. to rip off our bikes. So, but, but that, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, but then I was like, did I, Rip one off the last time and then I uh, anyway oh so confusing. yeah like thank goodness they have the um the trackers for them on the speedway now like yeah it, it makes a huge difference because when I did challenge Daytona the the years prior like it was a constant it was like I said 15 but was that 15 or is this 15 yes <laughs> like it was just like oh, oh god it was so stressful and I I just remember Jody in the middle of the of challenge Miami she's like one more lap, right? And so then I'm like radioing and like one more lap, right? And like Jared's giving the stats down, like yes, one more lap. And I'm yelling this to Jody, like while I'm watching oh her God. have like the race of I'm not going to say her career, but a breakthrough performance after the loss of her dad. Totally. And and I'm like, get this right, Alicia. And oh then God. so I'm like screaming to the timer, like one more lap. <laughs> it's, it's just yeah. So I luckily did not screw that up because oh, I was goodness. really feeling that for her. <laughs> Well, I would like to give feedback and the I loved the commentary team. I think you all worked really well together. It's really nice to um, 
and I've spoken to Blinda about this, and I don't want to say experts because obviously she's done a lot of commentary in her life yes. in triathlon, so she yeah. obviously knows what she's talking about. But I feel like in triathlon we kind of just – it's not like we've had a professional presenter come from a different sport into our sport in so much yeah. in the past. So it's really nice to see someone who is really pro in their industry yeah. come into our yeah. sport and we all – and I say we, not me, I wasn't there – but seeing everyone work together and actually doing it as a professional production, it like yeah. it, that's how it came across to me. And I, I noticed those kind of things and I assume a lot of the audience do as well. Um, yeah, I felt it worked. I f- felt it worked really, really well. Yourself yeah, included. And thank you. And I'm, I'm so self-critical and I, you know, rewatched my entire live broadcast and made notes on things that, I can do better for next time. And, and, uh, it's, but I, I'm really, I agree. I think having someone as seasoned as Rick Allen coming into it and he literally manages the entire thing. Like when in the Mm -hmm. studio, like he's so, so integral and he's taken his role very seriously and follows the athletes. Like he knew about like Jan's hotel and like he, he's gen genuinely become a fan of the sport. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so that's that's nice to see because I think we've had announcers come in that are just we'll say like triathlon, yeah, you know, not pronounce people's names right. Like literally, Rick is so so detail oriented yeah. and has become a student of the sport, and it's like we're so fortunate to have that because hit fans of maybe him or NASCAR may watch just because he's involved with yeah, the, true. the production. So it's great. Like honestly, it's. I'm really, really grateful to be a part of that and, and hopefully helping contribute to the platform that athletes can have to stand on because mm. it looks great for sponsorships and there's a lot of opportunities to um, just increase your value yeah, and actually get your name out there and your brands out there and things like that. So it's yeah. good. It's great for the athletes. Yeah. Do you think this commentary role, hopefully it continues in, you know, in some capacity? Yeah. Do you think that's the only way you'll have your foot in the door in triathlon or do you think that at some point there'll be another opportunity or something else? I love the commentary and I, I really, really do. Um, so for me, that's like the, the only role that I could envision myself in. I'm, I'm a great facilitator, a terrible coach. Um, (laughs) I'm, (laughs) I am the person you want supporting your session uh, but I, I was never going to be a coach. I did like the USAT coaching certification, like, and I did it and I was like, it's just going to go to waste. I'm, right. I'm not going to do anything to renew it. I have zero interest in coaching athletes. Um, I, I can't picture any other role. I'm, I love the commentary because it's about uplifting mm. others and it's about supporting others. And I love doing that. I, yeah. It's like what I do in my work. Yeah. Like I just... I'd probably be a good athlete support person like what Belinda does, but seeing how stressed she is <laughs> in like race week yeah. and the requests that athletes give, I realize now it was a very chill athlete compared to some of the <laughs> requests nice. that she gets yep. and the things that people like expect her to be able to do. It's like, oh, it's just ridiculous, yep. you know? So, uh, it's commentary or nothing to be honest. Yep. I, I'm very, uh, just, at peace with my time in the sport. And I also feel like I gave it a lot and Mm. I don't want to give it much more. Fair enough. I actually have this like weird feeling of like, this is going to sound weird, but a smidge of resentment when I come back from a triathlon like this, like, like 
oh, I, I cared so much about, like, I almost mad at myself for how much I cared for, like, a few days. It's, mm-hmm. I know that sounds weird. Mate, um, it does not. I It, it does not sound weird to me. Ooh, it, to me, it doesn't because, yeah. I, and again, not from a professional athlete's point of view, but from the work that I do, I feel, yeah. I feel exactly the same. Exactly. Yeah. So I get, I get it. Yeah. I like get mad at myself at like, mm-hmm. it's sort of like going back to an old lover or something like, oh, yes. I let myself get wrapped up in them for those, gosh, you know, like that's exactly yeah. what it feels like. And it's like, it's not that it's bad for me or any of those things. I'm just so at peace with not being in it yeah. because of how much I gave to myself, I can't, mm-hmm. uh, of, of myself to the sport. Mm-hmm. And I also, I, I sort of, I don't regret it, but the weddings I missed, the funerals mm. I missed, the the big days that we all like as athletes and it that we miss, we just don't go home because it's you've got an important race coming up, mm. you've got a big session, you're in the middle of a training block, like and it, the other thing would sounds weird is you you pick one. This person's dying. Do you want to go see them before they die or do you want to go to their funeral? Mm. Because you can only go up to one in the middle of your season. Like these are the types of decisions that athletes make all the time that like people don't realize they're doing and it had better be worth it. (laughs) You know, you have to be really at peace with the, with what you give to triathlon because when you're in it and like very absorbed in it, it can feel like, of course you have to, you have to, you have to, but there is a big world and a lot of life to live when you've, when you're done and you're going to have to live with all of the giving that you gave to the sport. So you have to be very aware of, of what you're giving and what you're giving up. I love listening to you. <laughs> like, you've just got, I don't think you mean to, but you've, you, you speak a lot of truth. And um, sorry, I know you mean to speak your truth, but I don't think you realize yeah. just how like this is all really resonating with me to be honest and maybe it's just where I'm at in my life at the moment but yeah. um everything that you're saying is so important and thank and, you and so truthful and yeah um I think people could learn a lot from you a, a lot thank you a lot <laughs> yeah 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 it's it's a lot and I mean as women we wait to have children we mm. we 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 put a lot on the on the back burner and mm. uh when you hang up the goggles and you don't own a bike anymore and you only run a few times a week, it's life is way, way bigger and finding purpose outside of triathlon, finding happiness in your, Mm. your partner, you know, family, what does that look like for you? Like there's so many wrinkles to life and triathlon is such a small wrinkle in comparison Mm. to, to the other things. And I think it was, like I literally watched my mom die. Like I watched her breathe her last last breaths. And when we leave this earth, all that's left is stuff. It's our stuff. It's our clothes. It's our shoes. It's like these little nuances of our life. And it's, it's everything that we do should be fulfilling a very specific purpose for us. And um, it wasn't until I watched someone pass that like it was like it clicked for me. It was just like triathlon need it is taking too much of me to be my job anymore mm-hmm. I want to have a job that still allows me to be there for my family to be a great wife to be a great aunt to be a great sister to be a contributing 
like to be able to give more of myself because any triathlete listening to this is probably super selfish like I was. Mm. Like the world revolved around me, <laughs> you know? So it was, I, I put so many things um, on the back burner and I just, I was not willing to do that anymore. And it was never out of resentment for the sport. Mm. I, I loved my time in the sport. Yep. It was wonderful. Uh, I just have nothing more to give it. Yep. It, it, other than the commentary a couple times a year, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> it's also been convenient because I drive there, but yeah, yeah. you know, I don't know that I'd fly to it. You know, like yeah. it's just sort of like it's it's uh, the sport just has a very specific place for me now. And uh, I did an interview with um, uh, oh my gosh, Haley Chura, and uh, yep. I was talking about how I felt like an imposter a little bit talking about it because mm. I just feel so disconnected right. from the sport at this point. Um, so because I, I just like, I look at pictures of myself. I'm like, man, I used to be, remember when I was good at riding my bike, Jared? <laughs> like, do you remember that? <laughs> oh my God. It's weird. Yeah. I just feel, feel very at peace with what I did, but also very, I'm not Alicia the triathlete anymore at all. It has zero part of my identity. Wow. It's uh, Yeah. It's like it just felt like a limb that just got chopped off. <laughs> so then how did you respond to me saying, hey, let's have a chat on the podcast? I mean, I know you responded yes, but... Yeah. I w- well, I always loved our interviews. And I think your biggest talent is that you disarm people. You certainly disarmed me. Like, and I don't know that another interviewer could pull out what you pull out of me. And I genuinely oh, wow. think that's your talent. Um, and the, the gift that you have as someone in your field. Um, and I, I remember noticing that from my, one of my first interviews with you and it was just kind of like, wow, she's very good at like making me say the thing that like, I didn't think I would say out loud. Really? Like, yeah. So like, that's a real talent. Um, so I enjoy talking to someone who makes me go to the parts of myself that, I maybe wouldn't say out loud. Yeah. You know, that I might think, oh, someone will think that's weird. Someone will be offended by that. Oh, I don't want people to know that. That's a part of me that, like, I'm a bit embarrassed of. But um, I think you have a real talent of giving me, and I think other athletes that have been interviewed by you, peace with just saying what's on their heart. You know, so that's... I wanted to have, I felt like this was like my one little like opportunity to do that. Cause you won't come knocking in two years when you're like Alicia keys. <laughs> 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 so, what was that girl's name? <laughs> um, oh, so yeah, like I, I love it. I love chatting with you. And, um, and I knew we'd be talking about so much more than triathlon because, um, you know, there's going to, we're going to have a lot of retirement of athletes in the next few years. And yeah. a lot of athletes that all race together and getting into their late 30s and early 40s. And I I hope that other athletes find peace in their normal human life like I have because it's the key to happiness <laughs> for yeah. sure is finding that next chapter. Wow. Um, well, thank you. That's possibly one of the best compliments you could give me. Um, <laughs> but it's not just a compliment. It For me, it's allowing me to have more confidence in 
what I, I actually I shouldn't act surprised because I feel like I do do that and I enjoy mm-hmm. doing that. It's actually probably the my most favorite part of my job and not just my job this is what I do every day it's what I probably missed most during lockdown and stuff it's just seeing people and meeting people and finding out about them and um having a laugh and um like yesterday I went and filmed an insurance company to try and make a video that's exciting about insurance which sounds like the most bizarre turn of events (laughs) for me but the feedback I got from that was oh, everyone felt really comfortable and relaxed around you and it didn't feel like mm-hmm. a... And I was like, oh, okay, that, that is me. That is who I, what, I, yeah. what I do and what I enjoy. So I really appreciate, I really appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's a pleasure being interviewed by someone. It's, it's cathartic. Like, it's mm. therapeutic to be able to, like, talk about this part of me because I didn't really talk about my retirement. COVID hit, right? Mm. So it's not like... And I wasn't the the level of athlete that people wanted to interview me about my retirement. Like it was, so it was just this thing that happened. Like my mom died, I started my business, I retired. And sometimes you hear my voice on the commentary of mm. some races. And it's really, that's my only foot still in the sport. Um, yeah. And I'm friends with a few athletes now, but it's, there were sometimes like unpacking the, um, the emotional side of retiring is, is helpful for sure. Mm. And even though my transition has been smooth, it's like really reflecting on it has, has still been, this is like one of the few times I have and certainly the most in depth I've gone to really looking at the process and and the emotional process that I went through in my retirement. Yeah. Oh gosh. Well, I mean, every word in terms of you speaking your truth, I'm really impressed that you've gotten to a point in your life where you've recognized those important things. And, and and again, and we both need to reiterate this, it's not that triathlon wasn't, was, wasn't important. It's not that you regret anything that you did, mm-hmm. but you've recognized that shift. There's something changed and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel like yep. people fight against that a lot, me included. So mm-hmm. it's, it's really important to discuss these things so other people can hopefully recognize you know, changes in their life as well and take those leaps and, yeah, I don't know. That purpose kept coming up. That's what keeps coming up in my head now is, yeah, your purpose. Yeah, and I think trust your gut instinct. Like, yeah. I knew I was ready to retire and um, Jared was my coach at the time and he did the absolute best thing he could have done. And, like, I think this is every – if anyone's ever wondering if they're ready to retire – Go to a race and give yourself permission to not start if you don't want to. And that is your answer. Wow. That's it. Bottom line. But you have to give yourself permission to not start if you don't want to. And that's what I did. I went to Augusta in September of 2019, drove all the way up there, did all my OCD shit that I do the day before <laughs> a race. Everything was laid out. Bike was in transition. Everything was perfect. And... I barely slept the night before because I just was like riddled with anxiety and woke up on race morning and I started doing the like awful race prep stuff where like you knew you didn't sleep well, you feel sick, you're trying to choke down your dry oatmeal that you made with coffee maker water and it's like, I don't have to do this and it was just this like light light bulb moment. Yeah, I don't have to race today and I looked at Jared, I was like, I don't think I want to race and he's like, okay, well, let's go down you could go get your bike and then maybe you'll be around the other girls and then you'll want to. And (laughs) I got down there and I was literally like, get me the fuck out of here. 
Like I couldn't get my bike fast enough to get out. Like I was just looking at the lines of the porta potty, like the, the aggro athletes that are like, give me my bike bump and like fighting over stuff in transition. And I was like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. Like, and I went straight to an official and he, I don't even know who he was, but like, it was like, he knew exactly what I needed. He got, helped me get my bike. I was like, here's my chip. I'm out. (laughs) That was it. Wow. Walked to my bike and we went for breakfast and drove back to Florida that same day. You didn't even watch the race. Nothing. No left. Wow. (laughs) That's like a mic drop. That that is (laughs) done. Yeah, it was like, I think that's like the best advice I could give to someone who's thinking about retirement. Yeah. It's like, okay to not want or feel like you you do not have to do this. Mm. As Meredith Kessler says, you get to. It's not a have to, it is a get to. And if, if, like, if you don't want to do it, you don't have to do it. Like you're, you're the boss of yourself. (laughs) And so I think that was like the best and like clearest I've never like people talk about aha moments like that was like destiny smacking me in the face and then I had like two months of like actually not even that long it was like a week later I was organizing my first pantry it was it was so fast like Jared was like you were depressed for like two days and then like you had a plan it was like Wow. just crazy how quickly I pivoted yeah Yeah. because October 13th I had my license to do business and that took two weeks to process. And that was late September was Augusta. So you're amazing. It was, yeah. Amazing. <laughs> it was nuts. <laughs> that is crazy. But so important to, tr- to trust your gut. I, yeah, I love yeah. that. You're amazing. Oh, gosh. I don't want to end this conversation, but we've been going for quite some time. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh, no, no, no. Because uh, I've actually got, I mean, I don't write a whole lot of notes, but there's a couple of things I wanted to touch on. But I don't, I don't feel like it would do it justice. Just ra- just wrapping up. Oh, do you know what? Have you got five more minutes? I have got all the time. I've got another hour and 20 minutes, okay. so I'm good. Um, I'm loving this. Oh, me too. <laughs> I really am. But, um, and this is, yeah, this is my favorite thing is just going on tangents and seeing where it goes and just finding out about mm-hmm. people. And one of the things, because obviously we spent a bit of time talking about your mum and your dad a little bit as well at the start. Yep. And just listening, finding out a little bit more about who you are and what makes you tick. I'm really interested to know what, from, who who are you most like? Like, what do you get from your Mm -hmm. mum and from your dad? And because it sounds... that's a great question. It just, to me, it sounds like you're, you're close. Yeah. I... My dad was the one that he sort of hated I was a girl. Like I had three brothers. My dad yeah. too. Yeah. And so he just never treated me like a girl and like the way you stereotypically would treat a girl. Mm-hmm. Like and anytime I did anything girly, he like made me feel really embarrassed for it. Like it was like Wow. Oh, is that makeup? That looks stupid. Like that was my dad. He had like a a bit of a sharp tongue. Like he was just, he, our connection was sport. Mm. And so actually in his dementia, that was like one of the hard things when I retired, he was like that part of our connection was really severed. And so I just go with it now. Like a lot of times I'm still an athlete with him because it's like kind of hard for him to wrap his head around that I'm not an athlete. And, um, 
so depending on the day, I'm still an athlete. Sometimes I'm Alicia, the organizer. Sometimes I'm Alicia still racing. <laughs> so it just, I just want him to feel good. Yeah. But anyways, like I get that totally from him, like the, the athlete side, he drove me to like early morning practices. He drove me to like track sessions at like 5 30 PM in Toronto rush hour traffic. Like he was my taxi. Yeah. He, he brought me everywhere. My mom was the one that made me very um, detail-oriented, very respectful to, like, coaches. She's the one that made me coachable, like, because I was so, like, parentable. Like, I was, like, a dream kid. Right. (laughs) I loved rules. I didn't really step out of bounds until I was, like, 16 or 17, and I, like, hit the classic, like, rebellious stage. But she was the one, I think, that really... Like, what coaches always said, I was so coachable. I just never asked questions. I really respected authority. Right. And I think that, you know, obviously there had to be some type of genetic, you know, like, help yeah. <laughs> there. So I don't know who I got that from. My mom <laughs> grew up cr- crazy poor, so she didn't do structured sport. My dad says he ran, but, like, I don't think very fast. So I, I don't know where the athlete <laughs> side of it came from. <laughs> so... But I think it was, like, their personalities that, like, just really helped me. I think my dad's willingness to do sacrifice a lot to take me drive everywhere and my mom teaching me a whole lot of discipline. Like, she did not – she, like, for example, when I wanted to swim and, like, we were running out of money, I remember she said, okay, if you're going to swim, this is how much each swim practice costs. If you sleep in, if you, like – you know, if you skip something, like, you paying me that back. Wow. Like, it was high accountability from a very young age. Wow. And so it was sometimes intense, like, for sure. sure but, uh, you know, she, I know it was done with love um, and also just lack of experience with sport. Like, mm. you know, it just, she didn't know what to do with me. <laughs> but I think I the discipline, the structure, I get all from my mom and my dad was the one that opened a lot of doors. Yeah. You know, that a lot of kids don't get like not very, not all parents will drive hours a day to take their kids to workouts. Yeah. And from the sounds of things growing up poor as well, you don't necessarily Mm -hmm. have that luxury of just being able to rock up to any training session or, and I imagine if you're coming from a, a poorer background, work like all that time needs to be spent working to earn earn a living right so you don't have yeah. the time to be yeah dropping off yeah. and doing all that and exactly I was like I would never say like we were personally like poor because I've seen poor like I sure. know like even my mom they were poor like they right. were hungry they didn't always have like outfits and things like that but you know for us it was like having four kids and mm. and you know, very working class. And so that was like one of the things that I struggled with. And if any parents are listening, you know, one of the things that I think is important when raising a kid that's really talented in sport is I became acutely aware of the financial investment that was being made in me and felt that pressure tremendously because I worried, are the other kids in the house, like not getting to do things because I'm getting this opportunity. Like it was this, something I think that parents just have to be cognizant of and not that you shouldn't, you're, you shouldn't, uh, you know, ensure that your kids understand the investment, but 
I think it got like driven home hard (laughs) with me, like how much money was being spent. And not that I was like frivolous with money, but I just remember feeling like pressure. Like if I didn't do like the race well, if I didn't like make an Olympic team, Mm. like I was thinking about the Olympics in 2004 and stuff like that. And even though I like, I should have been thinking about like high school. I almost dropped out of high school. Like it was just like, it was like sport or nothing. Like, Mm. and so, yeah, I think just figuring out a way that kids can just do sport for fun. There's no need to do it so seriously, especially triathlon. Oh God. Wait, (laughs) you have all the time in the world. (laughs) Yeah. Oh goodness. And where do you sit in the lineup of your brothers? Three. I'm the third. I have a little brother, but two older brothers. Right. And what's that dynamic yeah. like? What What are they like in comparison to you? So I was the only one that took sport like to the next, next level. My oldest brother, Colin, um, he was definitely like more of that team sport athlete. Like he was an amazing hockey player, amazing soccer player, amazing rugby player, but he did do triathlons for a yeah. little bit when he was younger my older brother, Nathan, grew up swimming. So I, I spent a lot of time with Nathan. Yeah. He was a backstroker and probably stuck with sport the longest second to me in the family. Like he really wanted to swim after high school and things like that. But it, it just didn't work out to do it on the level that he wanted to do it at. Um, and then my little brother, John, you know, it's something that I've always struggled with is that like I feel like I stole a lot of the attention from him. You know, so in like his ability to like pursue an app as a sport, like was really just overshadowed by the attention that I got. And it was not attention that I liked. This was Mm. like the hard thing. It was, I just felt like he got kind of cast to the side because I was excelling at a very young age and getting a lot of attention. Like I got signed by Adidas when I was 15, (laughs) you know, just like, yeah, like stuff like that was happening that like, it just, it was hard for him to like want to continue to do sport when I was doing what I was doing because he just didn't get the um, attention from coaches that he deserved or the, even maybe even the attention in our house that wow. he deserved. So he ended up, um, he got into like paintball and like kind of some like obscure sports that was like had nothing to do with I did. Yeah. Um, but to give you an idea of the amount of attention I got in my house, I never once slept at my childhood home that I lived in for 17 years without my parents there. Wow. So like never, ever slept in the house I grew up in alone, ever. But like wow. my brothers could have parties and stuff and I was so jealous because they were always with me. Yeah. <laughs> so we'd be off at a race and stuff like that and they'd like, like, man, I just wish that like I could do that. Yeah. Little did we know we wanted to be in each other's roles. But yeah, so... I always like, it's something I've always struggled with. I have great relationships with my brothers now, but it definitely like made for a strained family environment um, for sure with all the attention that I got. Did you recognize that at the time or did it take you a while to recognize it? I I recognized it, but I also felt like I deserved it because I felt like I was going through hell. Like I was training like, like from the time like grade six, hit so you're what like 11 (laughs) and I was waking up at like 4 15 doing a workout you know like doing some practice then like going to either like a track practice after school and then doing a second swim like I was training over 30 hours a week 
I had all the pressure of racing. I had like all of that. So like to me, like it was like, I knew I got all the attention, but like, it wasn't like I got cool new stuff. It was like, I got stuff for triathlon. Yeah. Like it was, it was very specific to my sport. So like, I felt like there were times that like I got the attention, but it was, um, warranted. But then other times I was like, Oh my God, I just want to be a kid. Like Mm -hmm. I want to go to a movie. I want to like go hang out with my friends. Like, why did I have to quit soccer? Like just all these sort of like things that, you know, coaches I think are so good at making parents feel like their kids, the next, Mm. you know, big thing. And they really can brainwash parents. Yeah. And, uh, I think just my parents just bought it hook, line and sinker. Wow. And, you know, when I didn't make the Olympics felt like a tremendous disappointment, but thank God my husband did. Like it was literally like the best thing that ever happened to my relationship with my parents was Jared making the Olympics. Really? Best thing. Because it was like, he satisfied the, like the goal, (laughs) you know, like it was like, he checked the box, Yeah, you know? And it's like, I'm not at all like making my like childhood out to be like, they were bad parents. No, 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 no. Not remotely. My parents like were, did the best they could. And I think which is what only any parent we can ask of a parent. It was just, I'm sharing this because it's, um, my mom's not here anymore to yell at me. (laughs) (laughs) You're talking behind her back. (laughs) exactly she was so private so now I get to like just say it like it is and and my dad like you know he he's so far down to the dementia lane that it's like he can't get mad at me either but he's so transparent my dad like he he just he wouldn't have cared but it's more just wanting parents to recognize like what they're doing with that they might not realize Mm. what they're doing and how it can kind of affect family dynamics and Mm. siblings in particular Mm. because Um, I think parents feel like they have to give their kids everything to be successful and it's okay to not get them the $5,000 bike. It's okay for them to not have, you know, like the fancy bike shoes or a power meter. If I have one more parent come up to me and ask about like their 10 year old needing a power meter, like they don't need a power meter. (laughs) It's like, it's like, it's going to be okay. You don't have to give your kids all the things, all the resources and you certainly don't have to like do it at the expense of your mm. mortgage or your home or your mm. family environment. Like it's okay for them not to have every single thing that they need because the reality is, is that it's going to work itself out. Mm. It's just going to the opportunities that they need to succeed in the sport will present itself if they're truly as talented as this coach mm. is telling you they are. Mm. You know, so it's like, that's what I wish I could go back and tell my parents is like, she's good, but she's not going to get good until she's in her late twenties. Yeah. <laughs> so like, calm down, chill out. <laughs> oh God, you're good. So you, I'm just sitting here thinking, cause also Frankie's just woken up, but I'm like, yeah, when people ask what I want for Frankie, I'm like, I just, I want to give her everything I can. And it's not in a sense of, I want to mm-hmm. give her, yeah, you know, stuff. I want to give her opportunities and but like it's just it's this parental thing you just want the best for your kid and sometimes yeah. I guess like you say you just need to step back a little bit and know that it will work out um and it's not yeah. always about giving everything it's I don't know yeah. I guess maybe allowing them to find their own sort of pathways or whatever she's mm-hmm. two and a half so it, you know yeah. we got a little bit of time 
Um, yeah, you got time. Yeah, but even down to the money thing, I'm in the middle of doing this financial course thing because I need to learn to be better with, and much like we talked about yeah. before, we need to look at what's going to happen in the future. Um, yeah, yeah. But even some of those little lessons start now. Like if I go get a coffee and she gets a here, they, they call it a baby chino, I give her my card and she pays for it. I'm like, what lesson is that teaching her that she's just like, oh, magic yeah. card, boop. Cool. Stuff arrives. And I'm like, this thing's amazing. Yeah. And it's mum. Everyone needs one yes. of these. Are you, are you going? <laughs> but anyway, it just makes me think. And obviously, I don't need to overthink yeah. things too much because she's a toddler. Yeah. But there's, yeah, it's interesting. Um, yeah. Mate, this has been an epic discussion i'm so sorry um and hopefully we still no, have people you listening. have like legit nothing to apologize for like i'm genuinely loving this like oh me too it, even though i said like like my mom's not here to like lambaste me over like talking about our childhood it's my mom was so wildly private like almost mm. i wasn't allowed to share that my mom was dying on social media like oh wow i wasn't even allowed to say she was sick you know, even when she passed, it was like, people were like, wait, what? Your mom was sick? Like oh. it was, she was so intensely private that I've never been able to talk about my childhood or never been able to talk about like how I honestly feel like our upbringing was pretty imbalanced that I felt like my little brother was, didn't get the attention he deserved. Like those were things like, this is the first time I've ever even talked about them because mm. it's, I was always so worried that she would hear it and feel so violated. Right. But now she's not here to hear it. And it could be a truth. And I always said to her, like, it, it could be a truth that another parent might hear. Mm. And, and it could be the thing that they need to hear. They might be like, whoa, I've got a little Alicia. Mm. Like someone just like her who's super driven, very talented. Coaches that are telling me mm. she's going to be A, B, and C. And she's 12. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You know, and before you drop thousands and thousands of dollars on her training mm-hmm. and this and that, like, how about you sign her up for a new sport she's never played before? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or like a different experience. Like it's, there are so few sports that require intense commitment at the age of 12, 13, yeah. 14, you know, um, where you, your kid's sleeping six hours a night. Like there are a lot of different ways to for your child to find success and in, mm. even in sport. Um, but there's a lot of ways for your child to find success outside of sport too. Yeah. And just recognizing that it doesn't have to be the be all and end all. And it's just, I think my parents unfortunately just had that like mm. single mindset and, and, uh, and you, I think they got it because they got so invested financially too. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's hard when money is tight to not see your kid is an investment. Yeah. At some point. Yeah. So, yeah. and I think that's human. It doesn't mean they're bad parents. I just think it's, and it doesn't mean we made mistakes. It just means that someone else could, if we were to do it again, we might do it a little differently. Yeah. And if we can, in sharing that experience, another parent does it differently. That's wonderful. Mm. <laughs> so look at you good. just giving back again. Like that's, <laughs> But, but that's how we started this thing. And we yeah, were talking yeah. about, like, this is what I enjoy doing and, and giving. Yep. And so, yeah, thank you. 100%. Thank you. So I've thoroughly enjoyed this chat and could sit here for another hour, but her decibels are going up in the background. So everyone's going to start hearing <laughs> <laughs> screaming. <laughs> 
so I should so probably good. call it a day. Um, yeah. And I have to take it to the zoo today because I'm taking the day Amazing. off. Yeah. So good for you. I'm going to go and do that. That's awesome. Um, That's fantastic. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed this chat. I, thank you so much. And I hope, uh, well, you've said it, that you enjoyed it as well. But I hope it, it has been cathartic and it, has it helps you a 100%. bit. And, yeah. Yep. It totally, totally did. It's, it's, uh, it's really the most in-depth conversation I've had about my retirement. And, uh, you know, I think it's, it's really, really challenging time for a lot of athletes. And I mm-hmm. think we can both think of athletes that are struggling to let go yep. of the sport right now. And they're still racing this kind of like half in half out. Yep. And it's, that's a terrible existence to live in. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I hope that it, you know, maybe one person listens to this and, and goes, you know, I am pretty interested in X. Mm. Like, it's not triathlon, but mm. it could be my next thing. It could be this next thing that makes me feel super fulfilled. And mm. I know it sounds ridiculous, but there is life beyond triathlon. And the triathlon world is, like, so small. Wait, what? In comparison to... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. small in comparison yeah. to the rest of the universe. So it's... uh, But it's hard when you're in it. Totally. It's like a very... uh incestuous little sport yeah. to be honest like if I'm being totally transparent like yeah. we all marry each other like really <laughs> I married a triathlete and it, yeah so did I <laughs> like name, name a professional triathlete that's not also married to a professional triathlete yeah. it's hard yeah we it's a very very tight-knit sport yeah. so I think uh it can feel very hard to exit it yeah and then that's hard on marriages shit that's a conversation for another day <laughs> god I do feel like we yeah. need to have a, a whole other podcast there's so many other things <laughs> so many other things I want to unpack with you but <laughs> uh, but <laughs> crying child uh yes <laughs> hungry focus crying on that child. um <laughs> yes thank you so so much I really yeah, appreciate your you. time um and yeah, I keep looking at the shelves behind you thinking, are they pretty well organized? Yeah, they're pretty well, well organized. Pretty well. Yeah. Yep. Mum's teacups. Oh, that's so nice. Cookbook from Hella. Excellent. Map of our town. Homemade kombucha. Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> yes. And I've got a coffee and... I like your setup. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, but you don't see what's here would drive you in... Oh, actually, no, it would probably make you very happy because you would come in and go... Yeah. Ooh, I'd go like this. <laughs> Let me in there. <laughs> oh, amazing. Well, thank you so much. Uh, and I, I don't know, in some capacity, I hope to chat to you again really soon. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. All right. Hey, we don't have to record it. Yes. Let's just catch up. <laughs> Connect. Uh, Absolutely. Sounds great. All right, mate. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. Please make sure you hit subscribe on whatever podcast platform you are using. Leave us a comment. It gives us some feedback, but also helps with our podcast ranking. But above all else, keep yourselves knee deep in awesomeness and we'll speak to you in the next episode.